your Bibles today and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. As you're turning, this has been a good day today. When you watch stretched across here, a bunch of little ones like that, it takes me back to village days when uh, we would have 15, 20 stretched across. By the time we got through all of them, there'd be so much crying going on. And I'd have a couple senior adults going, I can't stand the crying. Okay, I said, listen, it's life. It's life. And after COVID, I used to walk through our buildings for a year and a half, totally empty. I'll take life any day over the, I love the noise and everything else. And that just makes life good. Uh, you know, I'm starting, I think my fourth month here. Guys, I'm having fun being with you and I'm enjoying the privilege to be able to do this. I met with your staff this week in staff meeting. Y'all got a good staff. I, I, I'm, I've been thinking about taking them to San Antonio and give them uh, down there where I'm at, but it, they're great. I love working with them. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And this is amazing. I'm enjoying this. This is an amazing church. God's got some very special things ahead for you in the future. I love seeing the life that's in here. And so it's been fun for me to be able to do this. All right, now I want to switch, switch today. Whenever you get to the third chapter, there's not a lot of sermons ever preached here except at the end when you get to the prayer. And there's several different directions I could go with this. A lot of it has to do with the still dealing with what he did last week whenever he talked about the Gentiles, the nations, the Jews coming together as one person and he's building a temple. We're living stones within the building. And so he really hits that again. Uh, second time around in the third chapter to elaborate that we are, as the Gentiles, the nations, we're fellow heirs with all of God's people to what he's going to do. But what I wanted to do today is, is look at Paul. And we'll take two things. Uh, normally we do three points. I got two points, but they're long. Um, but since we had baby dedication, I said I'd sacrifice a point so that they could be able to get all the kids up here and those kind of things. But I really do want to look at Paul because my question now becomes, how does this man do what he does? This job he had is stunning, and it is one of the most difficult jobs anyone's ever encountered. Now, on Tuesday night, I'll be on the Internet. I have an Internet program uh, out of San Angelo that I do, and I'm going to be talking about how do you survive 45 years in ministry. I've, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. I need to change it to 47 but how do you survive 47 years in ministry? And the reason I'm doing that is, and I've done it in Costa Rica, I did it in Cuba just recently, I've done it several other places, is most ministers do not survive the ministry. I don't know if you realize that, but very few survive being in the ministry. It used to be, I don't know what it is now, but only half of those who attend seminary graduate. And of the half who graduates, over half of them will be out of the ministry in five years. There are very few, and I've got a few friends that went to school with me many years ago that are retiring with me, but it's just a handful of us who are left. The great pastor of the First Baptist Church of Houston, John Bazzano, used to have in his Bible all the men he started in ministry with years ago, one of the great pastors in America, and when he got to the end, he was the only one still doing it. So I want to take that because, uh, you know, I had 14 men serve with me in my years at Village. I got to thinking about that. Of the 14, uh, five finished. They finished their ministry and retired. They, they stayed it all the way through. Two are still going, but it's iffy. 
just watching from a distance now, and seven are out of the ministry. Now, you guys not going to have to deal with that. That's not who you are. That's not where God's called you. But I want us to look at how does a person go through this entire church life and stay faithful to what God's called them to do? How did Paul stay so faithful when his hardships are unbelievable? They have courses for us now on burnout for preachers. I don't even know what that means. I can't fathom burnout in ministry. I don't even know why you'd want to go to something like that. Because for me, this has been the greatest privilege in all the world to do what I've done all of these years in all the locations that God's allowed me to be. So what I want to do today is, is I want us to see if we can't see why Paul is able to do this. Because you know, we live in a day when people don't last much, very long at anything anymore. And everybody wants their life easy and trouble free. We live in a day where people are so easily offended. I mean, half of what we see now is people being offended. And we can look out across the world and see all the wokeness and the offensiveness of all that happens with that. But there's a lot of people in the church who get so offended so easy it's not even funny. So I want to know how do we go through all the difficult times and keep standing firm, keep moving forward and being what God's called us to be. Because these are principles that will apply in your family, in your marriage, in your job, and everything else. So if you'll stand with me right now. I want to read verses 1 and 2 and then skip to verse 7 through 13. And here's what God's word says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Skip to verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places." I just want to stop for a moment. It's not that much within my sermon, but the entire purpose of what your church is about is not only reaching your community, but proclaiming the great truths of God's word to the heavenly places, to the authorities who are up there. That's something you and I don't realize sometimes because this is bigger than you and me. This whole thing of what God's doing is stunning. We could spend all day long on what that might mean, but God's doing a job and he's doing it in an amazing way. And we don't only proclaim it to the world, we proclaim it to the heavens so that those in the heavens can see and hear what God's doing. It was a mystery that's hidden. It's now been revealed. And the mystery is Jews and Gentiles, one nation. God's accomplishing that on this earth. And one day he comes and dwells within our midst. That's what drove Paul. He knew this. But let's look again, a couple more verses. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf, for all of this is for your glory. Father, speak to us in a clear way today. Help us to learn something from Paul, the strength and the character which this man had, how he handled the difficulties of life, and how he walked through it all the way to the finish, so that he was able to say, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Father, that's our, what we want to be able to say when we come to the end of our life. So lead us and guide us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Okay, two truths today that are about the Apostle Paul. The first one is found in the first verse. Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus. He will tell you that twice in this letter. You say, okay, prisoner, good. Well, guys, he's in prison. This is not like getting thrown in jail in Greenville. This is a lot, this is a lot more difficult, tougher than anything you've ever encountered. And he has been, this has happened on many occasions. In fact, he told the church at Corinth, I've had far more imprisonments than everyone else. We know he was in prison seven or eight times. It could have been even more than that. All he was doing was going into towns, telling people about Jesus, calling them into repentance, calling them to a godliness. And over and over, this man was in prison. Not only was he in prison on many occasions, but he told Timothy in his second letter, I have been in prison as a criminal. His reputation has been destroyed. This is an evil man thrown in prison. He is a criminal. So his reputation is completely, uh, in one sense, gone. He even told Timothy, listen, young man, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me being in prison. Please stand with me. Have the courage, young man, to hang in with me. Don't be ashamed of me, nor ashamed of the gospel. For many would back off Paul whenever time he'd go to prison, and they would have nothing to do with him. In fact, people would try to take advantage of him when he was in the prisons. Those were people within the church. He happens to tell us that there were those who preached Christ from envy and strife because not everybody who preaches the gospel preaches it with the right motives. Many do it for a lot of other reasons, and he says that's going on. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. These are his exact words. And he says, they're trying to cause me to stress while I'm in prison. So he had people trying to make his life miserable, make his life difficult, make his life unbearable. Make him have to face up that his whole thing is falling apart. But you know what his response was through all of this? This isn't the normal response. He's going to tell the church of Philippi, I rejoice. In fact, he wrote the whole book of Philippians. If you want one word that describes the entire book of Philippians, you know it's joy. He demonstrates that as he writes about it through all that he goes on. But let me ask you a question. How tough was his life? Because I'm using the, the prison part to drive this home. He tells you in 2 Corinthians 11. And when you really think about what he went through in this, his lifetime of being in the ministry, I don't see how he lasted. I honestly don't see how he lasted. Now, I have scars on my body from church work. It's on my back. We had a snowstorm in the panhandle, and I shoveled in snow and ruptured a disc, and they had to do back surgery. But this man's body is scarred over and over. So let me tell you what he went through. He was beaten times without numbers. Beaten times without numbers. If you came to church this morning at Greenville, and afterwards somebody here in the church is mad at you and step out in the parking lot, and they've had it, and they punch your lights out, kind of like we see happening all over the nation right now, and deck you, and then you're on TikTok and showing you laying there in the parking lot. Would you come back here next Sunday if somebody did that to you? More than likely not. Paul got beat up so many times, over and over and over. He couldn't even count them. In America, if you go through a hardship as a Christian, you'll be on the talk show circuit. 
I've been there. I know what that's about. All you got to do is have somebody come at you on one thing and they want to know how'd you get through all of that. Paul's never on any talk show. He's never traveling around. He just gets up every morning and he does what? He lives his life for Christ. He got the lashes, the cat of nine tails, five times. Five times. 195 times a whip with bones, rocks, other things, metals, tied all around by a Roman soldier, over and over on his back. You know why 39, you've heard it if you've been in church any amount of time, 39 took you almost to death but didn't kill you. Five times in his life. You ever wonder why Luke went with him? We have the we passages in Acts which says that Luke and Paul are always together. You'll see that if you go through the book of Acts. You'll see that over and over. You know why he was with him? You know how broken Paul's body was? He needed a, a medical doctor around him, I guarantee you. To roll out of bed on a morning would have been difficult for him. My son got to do a, a gymnastic demonstration with uh, Kim Zemeskel, Bart Connors, Nadia Comaneci. But there was a little girl named Betty Okino that was there, and she, won, she had a triple pirouette on the balance beam. She's, it's named after her. She won a gold medal. And she and I were sitting there talking while they were practicing. And I, I asked, did you get hurt much doing this? And she said, well, yes. She said, I broke my ankle, broken elbow. I did this, tore this, had this surgery, that surgery. This is all while she's 14, 15, 16. And at the Olympics, just before the Olympics, where she won a gold medal, she fractured her back in six places on a fall off the balance beam. And I said, do you have trouble getting up in the morning? She's like 20. She said, yeah, she's from Chicago. A cold morning, my whole body hurts. I said, well, wait till you get older. It gets worse, and you're really going to hurt. But I said, preacher question. I got to ask this. I've had the chance to ask this to some great athletes over the years. Was it worth it? Was it all this, what you did, was it worth it? And little Betty Okino, she's just a little girl. All those gymnasts are just real little girls. She looked at me and said, yes, sir, it was worth every bit of it. When I stood on the platform for the gold medal, it was worth it all. You ask Paul, was it worth it? Beat up so many times he can't count. Cat of nine tails five times, 195 lashes, and he'd look at you and say, yes. But that's not even the worst. He got beat three times with rods. It'd be like somebody taking a baseball bat after you and beating the tar out of you. That happened to him three times that he got beaten. And then he had once, he was stoned. And guys, that's not child's play. That is not even close to it. They were trying to kill him that day. He survives it. Did you know after he got stoned what he did? It's one of the most amazing things to me in all my life because I asked you earlier if somebody beat you up in the parking lot after church, would you come back next Sunday? Do you know where he got stoned that after he went away and recovered from it? He came right back and preached to those people again. And he said this, through many tribulations will enter the kingdom of heaven. If I'd have been sitting there that day and heard that man say those words after watching what he went through, it would have had a profound impact on me. And I'm sure it did those. Now, I, I tell you all this, and I, I could do more. I haven't even begun to touch all this man had happened to him. I mean, we could talk about shipwrecks three times. We could talk about left out in the ocean all night long. We could talk about he had no food to eat, the dangers on the roads, the dangers as he would travel, uh, the threats that were on his life, all that went on. Here's what I'm finding amazing, because when this man went through this, 
I got this is hard for me to stay in a place, but last week I watched myself for the first time since I've been here. And when I walk over there, the cameras lose me. So forgive me if I kind of get confused. I'm trying to stay in close. But here's what amazes me about this. What was his life like as a young man? You want privilege? He had privilege. He studied under the most brilliant man in the world, Gamaliel. You get that not only, not only biblically, but in extra biblical writers. I mean, he had the greatest education you could ever ask for. The privilege of being not only a Jewish citizen, but a Roman citizen on top of that. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He came from a good family. He was the up and some coming superstar in the Jewish faith. Everybody looked to this young man as he was in his 20s with a passion and zeal like nobody else ever had. And he goes from that to one of the most hated men in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Asia Minor. I don't see how he kept going after he'd been through everything that he had been through and now God's putting him through hardship after hardship. And this never eased up. The people who hated him hated him so intensely that even years later when he came back to Jerusalem and they found out he was there, there was a huge riot and they came after him again and he had to go to prison in order so he wouldn't be killed out in the street. And then 40 men made a pledge. They would never eat nor drink again until he was dead. It must have been a tough time for those 40 men because he still lived quite a long time after that. See, what I want you to realize is this. Walking with Christ sometimes is not easy. We hear imprisonment stories, and they don't mean a thing to us here in America. We've had our ups and downs in our culture and everything else, but we don't even begin to fathom what this is about. Alejandro, one of my staff members who worked for me for 10 years, he's still doing a part-time. He's a little bit, I think, a little bit older than I am was in prison eight times in a Muslim country. Eight times. Beaten several times. He was an IMB missionary. You give to Lottie Moon. You don't realize sometimes what these people are going through. He and I have sat in my office and we have talked over and over about this. I found it difficult one day and I told him this. I'm the one who won a national award for courage and you're the one who literally lived it. I didn't do anything but defend a soldier you stood for Christ in a Muslim country. He had church members executed in front of him, and he stayed faithful. And his wife to this day is, uh, had a nervous breakdown and will never be well ever again because of what happened to both of them in the prisons in Africa. And yet not once has this man wavered in unbelief. So when I'm going to call all of us this day that we're going to walk with Christ, we walk with him good or bad. We stay faithful to him because he, as we sang a minute ago, he is faithful always to us. I hope those are more than just words you sing on Sunday morning that when you sing them, you deeply mean them. So how did this man keep doing this? Well, he told Timothy this, I endure everything for the sake of the people of God. I endure everything. He'll pay whatever price it is for everybody else. I don't know if you've realized this, but the greatest quality that you can have in your Christian life is humility. And all humility is you consider everybody else around you more important than yourself. Philippians 2 explains that in detail. But he said, everybody else is important and I will stay faithful so it'll be all right for them and they will hear the good news of Christ. And then he told the church at Philippi, my circumstances in jail have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. 
So Paul, I know something else about him. Through all of his hardships, he honestly believed Romans 8, 28 that he wrote. Well, most of the times we quote it very well, but he believed it. For we know. What do we know? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and called according to his purpose. He knew that even in jail, God was working that out. And he tells the church at Philippi, things are working well with me in jail here. The, the, the Praetorian guards hearing the gospel. Others are hearing and seeing what this is all about. But then he makes another amazing statement to the church at Corinth. He learned that God's grace was sufficient. May I state that you and I do not learn the great lessons of life through the fun times. We learn them through the tough times. Sometimes we're walked through the very fires of life, and Paul has been, and he says, but I learned something. Your grace is always sufficient. For power, I love this, power is perfected in weakness. The power of God is perfected in our weakness. See, I gotta make this point. Paul's not a super saint. He is not a superhuman. He is not uh, a Marvel comic guy with superpowers. That is total falsehood. There ain't nobody like that. He was a man just like us. And through all these hardships, you know what happened? He told the church at Corinth one time, I was with you in much fear and trembling. It scared him sometimes when he had to get up and do what he did. But you know what? He never stopped. And he said this, I am content with my weaknesses. I am content with the insults. I am content with distress, with persecution and difficulties. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm here to tell you this morning, he didn't know what the word quit was. My mom was a tough mom. She raised three boys and then later when she adopted Tammy. But she came from a very troubled home. And she, I was supposed to be the perfect child. You cannot raise a perfect child, but she thought she was. I've probably disappointed her so many times, it wasn't even funny along the way. And it wasn't easy being raised by Wilma Branson. But the one thing she taught me was, young man, you will never quit anything you start. I will not let you quit. And she wouldn't. As a football player at five foot and 100 pounds in pads, as a sophomore one time, I got hit so hard in the game, I didn't know who I was, where I was, or what team I even belonged to. I even thought about it as I got home that night. I still hurt so bad. They had to stop the game. I went the wrong bench and walked me back across. It was embarrassing and seen on video. They showed it over and over. me, kind of lollygagging around the field. But I told my mom, I'm, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's no fun getting your head knocked off on the field. And she said, son, you started. You're finishing. And I stood out there. I'm glad I did. Learned some of my greatest lessons by never quitting. I almost quit college my junior year because I just wasn't doing any well. And I called and told my parents, I'm finished. I'm going to quit. Dad said, get a job. I said, okay. So I started going to work at a refinery, just work in the refinery. But my mom wrote me a long letter. said, young man, I didn't raise you this way. I raised you. You don't quit. I am grateful for the letter. I still have it to this day. I put it in my, we got a new safe yesterday. I locked it in the safe. I'm not losing that letter. I pick it up ever so often. She said, son, you get back up. I am so glad I did. Not only graduate college, master, and then doctorate, and then other stuff because I didn't quit. Paul doesn't know what quit means. 
There are no hardship out there that you walk through that doesn't even come to touch the hem of Paul's garment. You stay faithful because your God's always faithful. But now, gosh, this probably ought to be a one-point sermon, but I'm going to do the next one. Notice the second thing he says about, he says prisoner. You go down a little bit farther around verse 7, no, 8. You notice it says the very least of all the saints. Let me give you the original Greek language here, what it says. The least of the least. I'm the least of the least. I, I, I'm insignificant in comparison to everybody around me. In fact, he tells the church at Corinth, I'm the least of all the apostles. They're a lot better than I am. He told the church at Corinth in a second letter, I'm a nobody. Nothing special about me at all. And told Timothy in the first letter, Christ came to the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. I'm the worst of all who's ever lived. A lot of people will say that's hyperbole. But I'm going to tell you, you know why he said this? What did he do as a young man, as a Pharisee? Well, let me walk you through about five or six of these things real quick, and you'll understand why he's saying this. Verse chapter 8 of Acts, he says, I ravaged the church. Ravage is a tough word. He's out to destroy. Intense. Verse 9, he breathed threats and murders against believers. He was breathing this hatred out of him that was so intense. He dragged men and women to prison. He put many people in prison and he persecuted them severely because of their faith in Christ. I'm taking exact quotes through the New Testament at you right now. It's not my interpretation. It's his words and others. He says, I beat those who trusted in Christ. I voted to have people put to death. And, and, and when I was looking at that again, I always would say, okay, he's referencing Stephen, but it's plural. So there's more than just Stephen that he voted for his death to be killed because of their faith. And he says in Acts 26, I forced people to blaspheme and I was furiously enraged at believers. Paul was angry, arrogant, driven to be the best, and he'd run over anyone who got in the way, and he'd take out anybody who stood in his way. This is a man filled with deep hatred. We talked a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, about John Newton. Here's another John Newton story, except it's the Apostle Paul. As ungodly and as broken as you're ever going to find, and yet grace came to this man. He was dead in his trespasses and sin. God made him alive. He says in verse 7, I was made a minister. Literally, it means to come into being according to the gifts of grace which was given me. He was in the position he was in only by God's grace. It wasn't his skills or ability or anything else. This man didn't deserve to stand where he stood, but God in his providence wanted to use him, and he put him in there. He looked at that and goes, I shouldn't be here. There are many of you who are much better than me, but he, was, he did what? He preached to the Gentiles. He did what God called him to do. This humility that he had, it was real. He knew he didn't deserve to be there. He knew it wasn't by his power. He knew it wasn't by his authority. He knew it was only by God's grace. And so what he got to do is he got to preach the unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. He got to bring to light the mystery of God's word. And it's bigger than all of us. And in doing that, this man fulfilled the purposes of God, God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus in verse 11. 
See, he lived for a bigger purpose. He knew he didn't deserve to be there. He spent most of his time in prison and with an attitude like he had about himself and being in prison, he does not quit. In fact, I'm surprised that he didn't sit there and think about his former life and say, God's got me in prison because he's punishing me for all the bad that I did. Because many times we in the church do that when something bad happens to us. You don't hear that in his, any of his words when he writes. He was going through hardships and suffering because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But here's a man you could not stop. He stayed faithful. My first sermon I ever preached outside my home church, the First Baptist Church of Orange, was in Bonita, Texas. I don't even know where that is. It's somewhere up northwest of, of uh, Fort Worth. A friend of mine was pastoring there. He asked me, a seminary student, to come and preach. And I don't know how good or bad it was. It couldn't have been very good because it was my first time. But it was 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And I've never forgotten the sermon. I've, I've, that stayed in my head all these years. For Paul says, momentary light afflictions are producing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond anything I can understand. Far beyond anything I can grasp. Let me tell you what, his afflictions were not momentary nor light, but when he viewed them within heaven and what God was doing, his eternal purposes, he knew that they were. I'll close with this. I was in Washington, D.C. Uh, April 2015. I was there because of some work I had done earlier, and I was speaking again up there. And I was sitting off the side while another guy was speaking, and this group that does videos um, came up and said, would you do an interview for us? Which I'd done a lot of those. And I said, yeah, I'll be glad to. We want you to be the, you do, you do the interview. You're going to interview Wes Motter. I said, okay. That name may not ring a bell to you. Wes Motter was SEAL Team 6 chaplain. He was in the Navy 22 years. Big man. Six foot four. I didn't know you'd be allowed in the SEAL teams if you were that big, but he was a huge man. But he was a chaplain to them, the Assembly of God. And he was very conservative in a time when a conservative chaplain in the, in the military was being destroyed because of their faith in Christ back in 2014, 2015. And he stayed faithful, and he got set up by some military leaders to destroy his career, to make him an example. And so they sent a couple gay guys into him and he counseled them in a biblical way. So they reported him. A lady came in who was living in morality, and he counseled her in a biblical way of doing that, and she turned him in, and somebody else came in and did it. It was a setup. They'd been brought in to do that. And so his career is gone. They have completely wiped him out. And they brought him in to be able to speak a little bit. And so we're sitting in the interview room, and I'm asking him what happened to him, and it was, it was tough listening to that. But I got to the point in the interview where I looked at him and said, okay, here's what I need from you. Cameras are rolling. They're like eight cameras. It's like 60-minute type of thing. There are cameras all around us. One's in my face. One's in his face. And everything else is kind of scoping it out. I looked at him and said, I need you to tell me something. I need you to tell me how you got through your dark soul of the night. What do you mean? I said, everybody who's gone through this, I, I, I experienced it in a way too. But everybody who's gone through what you've gone through goes through a dark soul of the night. I said, that's where you think God's left you. He's abandoned you. He doesn't care. After all I've done, I said, you've served 22 years, your country faithfully, and now they don't appreciate you. They're kicking you out, and they're destroying you because of your Christian faith. 
And he looked me in the eye, this SEAL Team 6 guy, and he says, no. Cameras are rolling. And I looked him back and said, yes. And he looked me back in the eye and he says, no. Now, I don't know how much you push a SEAL Team 6 guy, but I did. I said, you need to do this, Wes. We need to hear from you. And for the next 30 minutes, he poured out his heart and soul on that, to that camera. When he was through, there were tears flowing down his face. There were tears flowing down my face. Every cameraman in the room and every other person in the room was, was just crying at what he had been through. But he had reached the point that he just said, God, you don't love me. You don't care for me. I quit. I can't do this anymore. It was in that moment, in the middle of the night, as he struggled so deeply with all his faithful service to God, and now it was being destroyed, and his reputation was gone, that God spoke to him and said, young man, I've never left you, nor have I ever forsaken you, and I will never do that. You stay faithful with me. So Wes walked out of that next morning with his head held high, and he walked, and he finished strong. God called him home just recently because of covid but that was one of the finest men I ever met in my life. He didn't get back all that he had in the military, but he became a great testimony of what it was. That's what Paul and others teach us. You and I stay faithful. Life's not easy. It's never meant to be easy. Most of us will never walk through these kind of hardships, but some we will will be just as difficult and just as painful. But you and I will stay faithful. We'll feel like prisoners sometimes in our circumstances, and sometimes we don't feel like we're worthy for anything. Well, you want to know something? God's grace found you. He called you into his kingdom. He is making you into the image of Lord Jesus Christ. And what he starts, he is going to finish. And what he wants from you is stand firm. You walk with me. And remember Jesus' words. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures the end will be saved. The sign of eternal life is not just saying you got it. The sign of eternal life is enduring, steadfast, Walking every day. Paul doesn't let his past stop him from being a minister. He doesn't let his suffering stop him from doing his job. He doesn't let evil people in the church keep him from doing what God called him to do. He had a job to do. He does it well. And he preaches the unfathomable riches of Jesus. And he transforms that part of the world because of his ministry. Impacted hundreds and thousands. A friend of mine who may be listening in right now, we, was part of my texting group that we text back and forth, text me just before I came up here. And I was telling him I was going to talk about Paul being the least of the least. And this is what he texted me back. I hope I turn out half as unimportant as Paul did. I love that. If I just get a little of what Paul was like, that would be great. Here's what we're to do. Paul said this, follow my example. Observe others who walk according to the pattern that we have. You have many around you in this church, if you're younger, that have walked with the Lord and very faithful over the years. Follow some of their examples. Follow the patterns. Be an example. Be willing to stand firm and be a good person. I do Twitter. I don't tweet. I think that's how you say it. I do it for news source. I don't do TikTok. I got on it for a minute and thought I'm not doing this for any amount of money in the world. I do Facebook. But when I watch Twitter and I see what's going on in the culture and what's going on, 
and some of the public schools around here and the teachers being beat up. And I see what's my police friends all over the state of Texas that I have and what they're enduring. It's heartbreaking. And you know what we need more than anything else? We need solid churches, solid people standing for the truth of God's word, uplifting that Christ is the only answer. And let's impact our society with salt and light. You go back to when I was in the Old Testament a few weeks ago and saw what happened when the people of God lose their salt and their light. May we not be that way. Well, you don't know how hard it is. I showed you how hard it is. Measure up with Paul. Be what he was. You can do that. He is not Superman, just a man saved by grace. You're not superhuman people. You're people, common, everyday folk, saved by the grace of God, and you're now part of the greatest work ever. You're a part of the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you for the day and the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. Lord, I pray you'll be with us as we reflect and think on all that we've done today. I thank you for all the families who were up here a minute ago. It was amazing to watch that. And I just pray you bless those families in a special way. Help them to have this kind of perseverance to be able to walk and, and be the kind of men and women for their children they need to be. And Father, help all of us. Sometimes we let the hardships of life sideline us so quickly. Today's message was remind us again that we don't have the ability to do it, but you give it to us. And sometimes it's tough, but you'll walk us through it. So strengthen and guide your people this day is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Right.